0: This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. And now, here is your host, John McElroy.
1: Thanks for joining us on AutoLine This Week. Today we're going to be talking about the Chinese automotive industry because there's a lot of change going on there, both good and bad, and the reason we're going to be talking about that, because my special guest today is Michael Dunn with Zozo Go, who I happen to believe is the foremost authority on the Chinese automotive industry, and hello there, Mike.
0: Hey, John. Great to be with you today.
1: Great to have you on the show, and also joining us for today's show are Eric Lawrence from the Detroit Free Press, and Jamie Butters from Automotive News, and welcome aboard, Eric and Jamie.
2: Hi. Good hey, to be here.
1: Well, Mike, let's get into it. Boy, uh US China relations going from bad to worse. What do you think it's is going to happen here? And especially how is this going to impact the automotive industry?
0: Going from bad to worse is right, John. It's like we're on the on the speed speedway. Uh, there's no end in sight to the deterioration of relationship. I'm reminded of a of a Chinese expression. It's called sleeping in the same bed, dreaming different dreams. And this has really encapsulated the relationship between the United States and China for the last 40 years. The U.S. wanted the market. Chinese, for their part, they wanted the technology. And as long as the market was growing and the partners were making money, those partners kept sleeping together in the same bed, dreaming their parallel dreams. But now that the market slowed... And now that China's gotten more ambitious about getting its own technology and leading the world in technologies, things are unraveling, falling apart. That's where we are right now today. So, Mike, uh,
3: how does the presidential election uh, play into this? We know Trump and Xi kind of had a a good relationship at first, and then uh, we've had the Mm. trade war. I mean, how how are the Chinese looking at the U.S. presidential election and what might that mean for the auto industry.
0: The Chinese are somewhat hopeful that the presidential election will spell a new era, a return to the good old days, but I wouldn't bank on it. If you talk to people in Washington, DC today, both sides of the aisle, they agree on one thing and that is that China is a challenge, China is a competitor, China is a rival. And so we should not anticipate any major change for the better in US-China relations after the election, no matter who wins. Hmm. Do you think that the issues with uh,
2: TikTok um, and I believe it was WeChat announced mm-hmm. in the last day or so, how, how how much of an impact would that have uh, translating into like auto-related uh, issues?
0: Well, it, it is a tech industry. And as background, China said in 2014, they laid out this blueprint for global supremacy and next generation technologies from 5G to electrics to autonomous. They want to own the world. In all aspects of technology, WeChat and TikTok look seemingly harmless on the surface, but keep in mind everything that's recorded on TikTok and WeChat goes back to China and is viewed, can be viewed by the Communist Party. So this is sort of the tip of the iceberg. It goes deep and wide. And there's no question that the Detroit three will also come under increasing pressure as China says, Ooh, US is taking us on. Are they really our friends? We've already seen that come out in the numbers.
1: In what way did you see it come out in the numbers?
0: Yeah, John, if you look at the numbers, 2017 was a peak for the Detroit 3 in China. That year, they sold over 5 million cars. Today, the volumes will be down to about half of that. Ford and FCA are losing money. GM used to count on China as a profit machine. Sales are, uh, sorry, profits are half what they used to be. Uh, The decline is dramatic and it's very hard to identify a smoking gun like oh they're out to get the detroit three but if you look at the performance over the last three years as political tensions have accelerated or been exacerbated the fortunes of the detroit three in china have just been going down and down and down
1: but don't you think a lot of that problem is with the detroit three themselves i mean Mm. they sort of took china for granted growth was so fantastic They didn't keep refreshing their model lines as they should. In some cases, they misread what the market wants. GM putting three-cylinder engines in some of its compact cars that clearly Chinese consumers are not that interested in. Seems to me as much blame could be laid at the feet of GM Ford and FCA as at the hands of the Chinese consumer.
0: You're right. They were spoiled by years of phenomenal growth and profits, and they did get distracted. They took their eyes off the ball. That's a good point. That's a fair point. And a bigger point is if you look around Asia, when markets get competitive, whether it's Japan or Southeast Asia or India, the American brands seem to not be able to hold their own against the Japanese and the Germans. And now in a more competitive Chinese market where sales are down year on year, we're seeing the same pattern emerge. The Germans are doing well, the Japanese are doing well. The Americans are sort of caught in a no man's land with a better, much improved Chinese coming up from the bottom And then the Japanese and the Germans on top and the U.S. Where do we go with our brands, with our products? Big question, Mark.
3: It's also, though, the question of how you define American brands, right? As Mm -hmm. you said, the Detroit 3 have been struggling, but Tesla is doing great. They got the right to own their factory outright. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've gotten a lot of support. And Elon Musk has been raving about uh, China's entrepreneurial culture. He feels like you know Silicon Valley's gotten fat, dumb, and happy already, and uh, and China is where it's at. I mean, certainly they've been good to him. It's uh, do you think is there a strategic reason? Is it political against Detroit, or is it just the the preference for EVs that don't make Shanghai and Beijing even more horribly polluted mm. than they already are?
0: You know what, Jamie, uh, China's set out to be the global. Dominator and future electric vehicles, the production base, the R&D base, they already have the biggest battery maker. Tesla plays into that master plan. Bring Tesla in, bring Tesla supply base in, and yes, we'll let them own 100%, but they're, they're, the Chinese also have an expression, think of the Chinese economy as a bird cage. Um, the Communist Party is in charge of keeping the birds inside the cage. You can fly around as much as you want. You're free to fly around inside that birdcage and do what you like. But ultimately, everything rolls up to the Communist Party. And that's where Tesla finds itself. It's gotten off to a great start, 50,000 sales in the first half, on track for 100,000 for this entire year. But keep in mind, ultimately, Tesla is beholden to the good graces of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party. That's what's going on.
2: Thanks. How how well do you uh, view the PSA group and then if, you know if the, its future partner? How how well do you see them doing in China?
0: PSA FCA together in China have had a really tough time. Uh, PSA sales peaked five years ago at half a million units. This year, they're on track for about fifty thousand, if you can believe it. Just a devastating fall. Uh, FCA similar story. So when you put those two companies together in China it's it's not adding up to something more powerful it's two weak players and hopefully they can find a way but there's no evidence that either one has momentum in the market right now how is it that the 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 jeep doesn't uh, do more uh, for yeah. <laughs> that's a great question i mean uh, people in auburn hills must be just kicking themselves because they find themselves in the largest SUV market in the world. And with consumers who love brands, who love the Jeep brand, in fact, they think it's, you know, they know it has a global allure. Uh, Chinese people who have studied here and worked here see how well Jeep does in North America. And yet they cannot get traction with the consumer back in China. Why not? Well, there's lots of reasons, of course. But the biggest single reason is that when Jeep came to market, they thought we'll go bottom up. It will go low price and gradually up the ladder to our better and better products. That was a strategic misstep in my view. They could have started up on the high end where the German SUVs do very well and then come down. So now that they've started at the bottom and it didn't work, how do you turn that around and go back up top? That's what they're wrestling with right now. <laughs>
1: Mike, in your latest uh, newsletter, Sozo Go, which I read every time, it's really well written. Yeah. And it's got great information in it. You had a fascinating point that Chinese EV startups are coming to the United States to raise money. I think you had Li Auto and Candy Technologies and XPeng have all done IPOs in the United States on American exchanges. And yet, I think you said 75% of the investors... Are coming from China?
0: <laughs>
1: what, what, what Why do that? Why why come to the U.S. Can they not raise that kind of money in China?
0: That's right. the The idea coming to the U.S. is it's it's a little bit easier to list in New York than it is in Hong Kong or Shanghai, and they want to play on the test momentum. So the X punks—that's really a company to watch—and Lee Auto is see, oh, we can get listed relatively easily on the U.S. exchange, and we're we're not subject to the same kind of fiduciary responsibilities that we are in other markets. So let's list there, get our money there. And oh, by the way, we have a great story. We're the next Tesla. Don't miss, Don't have. you have that fear of missing out. Don't miss out, we're the next Tesla, put your bets down now and so far it's worked. Lee Auto raised over a billion dollars. This is a company that's barely five years old, has sold less than 10,000 cumulative total units in its history and yet it just it just raked in a billion dollars on the, U- on the New York Stock Exchange.
3: Wow. Let's talk. We talked a little about the trade issues earlier, but let's look at the suppliers if we can. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, obviously, it's uh, been a, a huge market uh, for suppliers and a, and a huge export market, um, but that's kind of evolving. Uh, you helped talk with us uh, for a story about it, but we're seeing a lot of companies, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, North American producers, automakers with plants here. Trying to have a maybe a shorter and more secure uh, supply network, but uh, you're saying even some of the Chinese companies are trying to uh, move some of their chains out of China.
0: That's right. So that what we're seeing. is, okay. So let's keep in mind, China is still the biggest car market in the world and will not go away. So much of the supply that's in place in China is not going to move out abruptly. It'll stay there to service the local market, the Chinese market. But increasingly, we're hearing of suppliers taking a second look, saying, we put all of our eggs in the China basket. That was a strategic mistake. We need to pair off some of those resources and some of those future investments and put them into other promising markets, including Thailand, Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, India, and closer to home, Mexico. That is a trend that's just taking hold now. Of course, you can't upend supply chains overnight, but look for that trend to take hold with increasing momentum in the coming years. Uh, if for no other reason than because U.S. companies in particular will know that they're vulnerable to the whims of the Chinese government. And um, COVID-19 has brought that to light. It's time to make an adjustment, and that's what's happening.
2: Uh, on the COVID uh, point, wh- what's the situation like uh, recently in the last couple
0: of weeks there? You know, I was just on the phone last night with my my colleagues in China and It's almost as if it's a different planet. They're operating almost as normal. People are not wearing masks anymore. There's travel. The production side of the business has recovered tremendously. We're we're basically back to full production in China. The issue is that COVID definitely put a dent into the Chinese economy. Lots of job losses. Export businesses that were shipping billions of dollars to the United States and Europe have come down a a lot off of their highs. So you have a demand issue, and that's what people are worried about inside China. When will consumer demand return? Everybody's watching that.
1: Mike, as you noted, you know, speaking of consumer demand, uh, the Chinese government reduced its incentives for new energy vehicles, as they call them, mm. battery mm. electrics and plug-in hybrids sales dropped like a rock the instant that they <laughs> did that and i think you're the first one that pointed out that the chinese government is saying hey we're not going to subsidize this you automakers are going to subsidize this but with the drop in yeah. sales it, it it looks maybe like it's leveling out a little bit right now maybe but where do you think this is going to go especially vis-a-vis subsidies for those cars
0: one way or another john The Chinese government is committed to making EVs a success in China, whatever it takes. So just as you said, initially, they subsidized the hell out of the industry with tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of direct and indirect subsidies that got expensive. And they said, we can't do that anymore. We're going to put the onus on the automakers themselves. When they come to market, we're going to have a quota and say 10%, 12%, 14% of what you sell here must be electrified. So the cost of electrification goes on the automakers. And look for cities at the local level to put in place quotas or other indirect incentives to get the consumer more and more interested in electrics. It's going to happen in China one way or another. You can bank on that. Uh, There will be ups and downs, and we're in a down right now. But look for recovery. In particular, it'll be driven on the high end by demand for uh, Teslas, uh, NEOs. Uh, Mercedes is bringing Volkswagen's bringing a whole flurry of new products to market so we're in a lull but don't count the EV industry in China out yet no don't do it
3: we were talking about covid and its impact on the industry and we also talked a little about TikTok of course you know when China was shut down we heard a lot mm. about uh dealers using TikTok and other social media videos but mm. mostly TikTok to uh you know reach consumers do virtual test drives, a lot of these kinds of things. And of Mm -hmm. course, it's like, what do they call it? A mega app because you can do transactions and all that. You can make payments. So is that part sticking or has shopping reverted to normal now that, you know, the spread is limited enough. People aren't wearing masks. Are they just back to shopping in person again?
0: Dealers on on the ground and trying to tell me they're at about 70 to 80% normal traffic. So it's come back a lot at the same time. China's arguably the most digital economy in the world. People are super, super comfortable with using their phone, their WeChat to do all kinds of things. And that's definitely the trend. If you look at the tech powers like Alibaba and Tencent, we're seeing more and more movement toward buying your car online, contactless purchase, contactless delivery. In the case of Geely, they even had, still have your keys being delivered by drone to your doorstep. Okay. (laughs) Nice touch. Nice touch. <laughs>
3: can,
2: can you talk about the charging infrastructure a little bit in China?
0: Uh, that's a great question because it's it's one of the best cup secrets in the world. Ch- China dwarfs the rest of the world in terms of its charging infrastructure, both conventional charging and supercharging. And Tesla's a really good example of that. By the end of this year, Tesla will have 6000 supercharger points north, south, east and west in China huge number, and many of these are situated not between cities, but even within cities to make it more convenient than ever for for uh, owners of Teslas to charge their cars quickly. So there's no shortage of supply or capability when it comes to charging infrastructure in China. They're the global leader already. The key, as John alluded to earlier, is to get more and more customers feeling confident and feeling happy about buying EVs. That's the thing to watch.
1: Mike, what do you think is going to happen with the Chinese auto industry overall from this standpoint? Mm. There's way too many car companies, you know, well over a (laughs) hundred. I just saw some interesting stats. The top 10 car companies control 60% of the market. The top 30 brands account for 90% of sales. And you've got, well over 70 other companies then fighting for scraps. In the EV segment, there's Mm -hmm. roughly 50 startups. What I just read recently was that all but five of them have seen their funding dry up. Mm -hmm. And we've been waiting for a shakeout in the Chinese industry for years now. It hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. Is it going to happen at all? Or are states and municipalities just going to keep feeding these things forever?
0: They'll keep feeding them, John, for as long as they possibly can, because it means jobs and potential for tax revenues, potential for more investment coming. It's just the way China works. And if you saw consolidation overnight tomorrow, you'd say, well, this isn't China anymore. China's morphed into something else. The power at the local levels is that strong. Now, they they are concerned because the local market, domestic market, is not strong anymore. So what are they going to do with all that capacity? Definitely the, the, the direction is to export or to produce overseas. So you've seen recent, in recent months Great Wall, Geely, SAIC moving into Southeast Asia, moving into India, MG's sales in the UK are at record levels. So look for China to sort of take the pressure off of all that overcapacity by, for the first time, actively pushing out into global markets, not necessarily US or Europe, but Southeast Asia, Africa, Middle East.
3: As part of the 2025 uh, ambitions, you know, we talked about electric and, uh, you know, digital technology, uh, other technologies, but uh, automated driving as well. Mm. The Chinese are really pushing and have not let up at all uh, during this uh, re- recession, this global global economic contraction. They're just uh, pushing full along. What is the market there like for ride sharing and, uh, and what is that tech? culture like that's uh that's leaning into these AVs, how do they see them being used? Is it more truck based like we're seeing more talk mm-hmm. here, or is it really about everybody in these giant mega cities, you know, shuttling around on uh robo taxis?
0: Hmm. both and you know, Didi's the biggest ride handling company in the world by far, and they're actively investing in next generation uh autonomous ADAS, call it what you will, level three, level four. They're going for it. They they don't want drivers in their cars in the future. But I think China's biggest advantage is on the regulatory front. So if you look at the world, you say, well, the Germans have been very active in adopting ADAS and going for autonomous technologies in their luxury cars. California is arguably, I would say, far and away the leader in autonomous technology. You got Waymos and Teslas and the rest here, NVIDIA's. And then you look at China, you say, well, what's their big advantage? The market plus a government that is hell bent on making China the leader in next generation tech, including autonomous. And they understand that the key to that is regulation, infrastructure regulation, converting highways to all autonomous, building cities that will be autonomous. This is where China enjoys an edge. And there are a handful of very good Chinese autonomous tech companies already, Baidu being one, you look at We Ride, you look at Pony, too simple, which has operations both here in China, they're the real deal, and with the support of the government, China hasn't has a real opportunity to be a global leader in autonomous.
2: Uh, I'm wondering, uh, part of the uh, discussion about uh, about uh, the future of uh, transportation, in this country is often on the, you know, the uh, younger people maybe aren't mm-hmm. as interested in driving, um, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure how COVID plays into that. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of anecdotal uh, discussion about, you know, my, you know, my nephew or whatever, not not, you know, taking a long time to get his license. I'm curious, mm. what's the what's that like in, in China? Is there anything comparable? Is it do people in general, everybody have an ambition of, of, of driving if they don't now, Or what's what's that look like?
0: You know, there's think of China sort of uh, tale of two cities. You've got the wealthy coastal cities like Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen with very good mass transportation systems and uh, very convenient DD services all over the place. So many of my friends in China now say, you know, owning a car is a lot of hassle. We have to worry about parking, taxes. If we get in an accident, there's insurance. Let's just go DD and minimize. Then you have the second layer of, of customers in the second, third and fourth tier cities inland who have those aspirations. Oh, I can't wait to get my first car. I've been saving for this moment. This will be great for my family for generations. will be so proud of us. So both of those are happening at the same time. And as a result, we see China's market sort of eh, not doing as gangbusters as it used to. Uh, so coastal cities going to alternatives and inland cities yeah, still hungry for cars, but their incomes aren't growing as as, as quickly as they used to. So that's why we see a sort of flattening demand. And I expect over the next five years not to see some big recover, recovery in the China market, and new takeoff, but rather sort of a plateauing and a hanging around the volumes where we are today.
2: Is, is there a generational? I'm sorry. Gen, no, go, ahead. go uh, ahead. I was just wondering if there was a, if is there a generational divide too, or is it just the regional uh,
0: division? Yes, younger people. Definitely getting more interested in experiences and their phones and uh, less so about the car because their parents already got one, so they don't make that breakthrough. It's really new territory. Um, we just have to say, keep an eye on where things can go. They can go in any direction.
1: Mike, we got a couple of minutes here, but uh, earlier in the show, we talked about how U.S. companies are revamping their supply chains. But Mm -hmm. I was very interested to see uh, Korean companies in China doing the very same thing. How are uh, other countries, specifically uh, the European Union, Japan, and South Korea, looking at China these days? We know what the American situation is. Mm -hmm. What are those countries doing?
0: China has has a level of tension with its neighbors we haven't seen in the last 40 years. It's not just the U.S., You know, there was a border clash with India recently, and the Indians responded by shutting down a lot of Chinese apps. Uh, There's there's Chinese ships um, passing by Japanese islands called the Senkakus on a daily basis, swarming the place with 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 ships. Uh, With regards to Hong Kong, you guys know the story of national security law. Australia, they banned imports of barley and wine. It seems like there's just tension on every front. And in Japan's case, they even have put in place billions of dollars of incentives to have Japanese companies reshore, leave China and come back to Japan. Korea, same story. Everyone, it is really a pivotal moment in history. Everyone's taking a fresh look at China and saying, do we need to rethink things? We better rethink, sorry, we better rethink things because China isn't exactly what we thought it was. Let's diversify our risk. Let's move to new places.
1: And real quick, we're down to the Hmm. last minute. Hmm. Does this bother China or is this time uh, China saying, nope, we're, we're standing up on the stage here?
0: It seems like, John, it seems like China is saying this is our moment in history to step our game up. We have been working toward this goal of being respected as a global power for so long. And we have an economic might. We have a military might we have never had before. Let's flex our muscles and see how the world responds.
1: Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch how the world responds and how China responds to that as well. But Michael Dunn from Zozo Go, thanks so much for coming on and talking all about China and the automotive industry there.
0: Always enjoy joining you, John. Thanks very much for having me.
1: And Eric, great to have you on. And Jamie, same. Thank you for being on the show today.
0: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, John. Autoline this week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.